coffee drinkers, bass players of the world. What's happening? It's Wednesday. It's the 16th of March, 2022. Okay, pre-sale for the new album has been in full effect. Uh, This is a big thank you. Not so much of an ad, but a big thank you because it's been in full effect for four days and you guys have been absolutely crushing it. I can't thank you enough for that. That really... uh, it takes the, it puts a whole new perspective and that kind of light at the end of the tunnel thing in terms of hope and sustainability and questioning whether I'm doing the right thing or not. That that light gets a little bigger at the end of the tunnel when I see a response like this. So that's just uh, way above and beyond um, any small expectations I might have had. So that's huge. It's still going strong. Um, for anyone who hasn't taken advantage of that yet, yannickwisdala.com forward slash store. Um, like I mentioned on the last podcast, 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 holy shit. Like I mentioned on the last podcast, I'm losing the ability to speak the Englishes. No, like I mentioned on the last podcast, there are five different levels of engagement. If you want to be involved from the very basic to the super baller, um, there's kind of a, a range in there. And I heard some feedback from from a few of you saying that you dug the levels and that they kind of made sense. Um, I'm really, really happy about that. I was trying to launch that thing like three weeks ago. And the one thing that was holding me up was like, how do I construct the levels for this? How do I make it all make sense and make sure I don't exclude anyone? Um, and, at the, and at the same time, if people want to or have the means to contribute more give them you know try and give more value on the high end it was a real um kind of labor of love just putting those different levels together it seems sort of maybe trivial or a little bit insignificant yeah whatever three different five different prices five different levels but we really um spent a lot of time working on it and i'm really glad it worked out and um so far the feedback has been awesome so yannickwasdollar.com forward slash store it's it's cranking away. I'll, I'll report a little bit more uh, on that at the end of the podcast. But as I said in the Telegram channel today, there was all, there were already a bunch of good points being made and feedback about the whole process um, and some questions. Uh, I asked for a few more. We're going to go and uh, dive in and answer a few of those. Um, you guys were not shy, which I love. Um, and who was first? The Hondo was first. Hondo at Hondo Felder. I've said that really confidently. I don't know if that's your handle, bro. Um, but Hondo has a new podcast now, actually. I should give that a plug. Um, first episode, which I listened to this morning, I think, or last night maybe, all about recording bass. Really cool. Um, if you if you have questions about that, that sort of answered a lot of them <laughs> for me, uh, especially as I think about um, and look forward to in two weeks going to the studio to make this record. I'm really more so than ever sort of being involved in the process and the solution uh, to the problem that is recording bass. You know, um, I, I'm going in there with kind of a a little bit of a, an, an unconventional setup, shall we say, and um, a, a lot more requirements than just you, you kind of regular, you know, bass player, one signal, mono. You know, I'm going in there with two stereo channels, so four inputs just for just for the bass. So Hondo's question in in the in the um, in the Telegram channel was, "What is your favorite bass recording method, and why is it stereo?" So there's a little backstory to that. He's kind of responsible for me. Uh, being curious about stereo um, 
a stereo bass signal chain and really specifically stereo uh, signal when it comes to reverbs, when it comes to like time-based effects and widening that stereo image and, and having more kind of sonic interest. And it happened in just the most random of ways. I think it had to be at least a year ago when Twitch was kind of the thing before Twitch became basically uh, free porn. Uh, <laughs> it's fucking unbelievable now. But Hondo has a Twitch channel. I was streaming on Twitch and um, I caught literally 30 seconds of a stream where he was in mono and then he switched over to this reverb and stereo. And I was like, holy shit, that's something I need in my life. And here I am probably, I, mean, I think it was about a year ago, finally doing it and, you know, shunting my Eventide H9 way, way, way down towards the end of the signal chain right before the uh, right before the loopers and using the black hole algorithm for these unbelievably interesting uh, stereo reverbs. I'm also using the, I think it's the dynamic hall in uh, in the Line 6 HX Stomp, which has been beautiful for the natural sound of my bass. I've really enjoyed processing it through, you know, that, that dynamic hall reverb with the natural sound of the bass and then the H9, the black hole, when I'm kind of processing effects and I maybe want some modulation and all kinds of other stuff. So I'm not sure how to answer the question because I don't know what my favorite uh, bass recording method is. I always... Here's one one big hurdle that I've never been able to overcome when it comes to recording, and that is it sounds one way in the room if I have amps on, and it sounds completely different once it gets on, on you know, well, it's not on tape anymore, is it? Once it gets into Pro Tools or Logic, once it becomes um, set in stone, digitally speaking, in a waveform, it just loses so much sort of the the ambient vibe of the room uh, so that's one thing i'm really uh i guess have struggled with for 20 years recording and it's something i'm trying to solve uh now especially for this big project i'm talking with my engineer all the time it's just great like part of the process of this album is being way more prepared than i ever have and having these kind of conversations and um really really just thinking about it you know and going through a bunch of different different options you know i went to the studio last week or the week before and took all my pedals and set up the stereo rig and you know took a basic you know my h6 my zoom h6 recorder it's not great but it gave me an idea of of what was what in terms of the stereo image like a rough thing and just worked through a bunch of sounds and figured out some game structure and signal chain and signal path and all that kind of stuff and sending ideas back and forth with my engineer then i did a shoot for aguilar yesterday and they were kind enough to send me over like the rough audio um from that performance which i basically took my two pelican cases full of gear um, i don't know how they recorded it actually i know there was a laptop involved there was probably an interface of some sort i just didn't see what it was could have been uh, incredibly high-end could have been super prosumer i don't remember off the top of my head but it gave me a great um kind of pre-production image of what that pedal setup is going to sound like and what i need to do in order to make it better and it was again yesterday i was playing through two 410s on either side, two Aguilar 410s, and I had a, the, whatever their big boy, the three rack space amp is on one side, and I had an AG700 on the other. And in the room, when I listened back to this audio that they sent me, although it sounds great, like in the room, it was a completely different experience. Um, now, 
I, I know it's not a not the easiest thing to to mic an amp and be able to capture that, mic a cabinet and be able to capture that. Um, and it's also not the most practical thing when you have a band and when you're trying to contain certain things and avoid leakage to you know to other microphones, perhaps in the studio. Considering it's probably going to be quite loud, you know, one, not crazy loud, but one of the things I picked up on Hondo's podcast was like, don't have the don't have the amp or the cabinet in the room too low, otherwise it will hiss. I think that was the thing. And in the, in the time it made, in the moment when I was listening to it, it made total sense. I was like, oh, I hadn't thought about that. Um, so yeah, there are just so many layers to it. I think that's the that's the biggest problem. So long story long, I don't actually know what my favorite method is to record. I know what my favorite method to listen is, and that is air moving in the room, the sound of the amps, and you know, I'll give the middle finger to a DI any day. That's always been my kind of thing. So let's see. Let's find out. I'm working on it. Um, I shall continue working on it for the next two weeks until I leave for Spain, and then we'll really be able to dial it in in the studio. And um, May 15th, you're going to find out. (laughs) That's when the album's coming out. So uh, all eyes on May 15th. And plus the documentary movie is going to help with that as well. That's really going to show the process exactly what we did. There's going to be a camera rolling on every single dumb thing we do in the studio to find the solution to the problem that is recording bass. Um, let's see. Next up, Steve Yates. What's up, Steve? Uh, just finished listening to the last podcast. The question of overload. Oh, that's right. Um, I would, I attend a masterclass, a movie, then a gig. Damn right. Okay. Well, there you go. Maybe some people wouldn't, but if you ticket each event, then people, uh, have a choice. $20 for the gig, 30 for the gig in a movie, 50 for the bundle, etc. Yeah. I, and, and I, I, I have definitely thought about doing tiered ticketing when there are kind of three components to it, um, for sure. And it would be a question of, you know, the most expensive ticket um, being the people that show up first. Like somebody brought up, a uh, Jonas there brought up a, a logistical barrier option of like people having to leave or forced to leave, um, like, you know, ticketing things. So definitely it would be the people who bought the most expensive ticket would be there first second most expensive ticket was sharp next and the least expensive ticket was sharp next to avoid logistical problems and i I don't think that's possible i I know it's not possible at every venue but there are some venues that are really good for that where you can do a small master class or a q a you can screen a movie uh, because the place is big enough and has the equipment and you can obviously play a concert so yeah when um when there are people that are up for it in a city that has a venue uh that, that that can provide that i'm really definitely into that idea um so yeah let's see more questions um i wish i knew how to pronounce some of these names a j z e n i asian 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 i'm not sure but you know who you are um the question is how do you avoid injuries that stem from playing bass, such as posture issues, repetitive motion stress? Um, do you have any stretching, massage, ice, heat that you might use? Uh, I do a bunch of different things. I would say that I do two things most consistently. Number one is I take care of my body in general, um, something that isn't uh, specific to wrists, hands, uh, shoulders, or anything like that. It's just a general, like, I like to take care of my body. I like to exercise. I like to stretch. Uh, do a little yoga, do a lot of hanging from, from my, like I have a you know, weightlifting, like power cage with a pull-up bar. So I hang from that, decompress the spine as much as I can. I'll do that three or four times a day for a couple of minutes 
just hanging dead weight. Um, that really helps decompress the spine. I'll stretch uh, at least once, if not twice a day. I'll try and work out, even if it's just 10 minutes on the bike, 20 minutes on the jump rope. That's what I've really been trying to push myself to do now that I'm kind of coming out of the fog of new parent sleep deprivation a little bit. My daughter is starting to sleep through the night. She's starting to get a little bit more predictable with her sleep patterns. So that gives Chelsea and I a little bit more of a manageable schedule to get our stuff done. Um, so yeah, there's there's definitely an element. I'm getting back to the element of working out and generally being in, in better shape. And that, that leads to being in better mental health. So when I do sit down with the base, I'm relaxed. I have great focus. I know the kind of intent with which I am going into practicing, no matter what it is, maintenance, uh, learning something for a tour or working on my own sounds for the new album, whatever it is, I'm very focused when it gets to that. So there's low stress combined with general health, I think has been the best thing. And when I was like heavily, heavily uh, into training before my daughter was born, you know, six months ago and through the pandemic and before that, I was doing it was a pretty heavy regime of things. So when you talk about ice and heat, yes, I was doing ice baths every other day, um, cryotherapy. Uh, once in a while, I'd, I'd go over to my buddy's house who has a, a cold plunge and an infrared sauna. So I'd be doing contrast stuff. That's always, that, that is always great recovery and um, it's good for inflammation and all kinds of stuff, which is, is kind of, again, general health which has the byproduct of, you know, your, your wrists and your hands and your shoulders and all those things we use to play the bass, um, including posture, you know, the spine thing that I mentioned earlier on. You know, doing those things has the the byproduct of being good for the bass-specific stuff without ever really thinking specifically about that. And I've never really had an injury of any significance related to playing the bass ever because I've always been very relaxed when I play. It's... Uh, very useful. Um, very lucky in that sense. I know other people, many other people who have not been that lucky. Um, let's see. More questions. Um, i got to find the right, <laughs> where it starts in the right place here. The, okay, so oh, another name I wish I knew how to pronounce. V-I-B-H-A-S. Vibas, Vibas, Vibas. I don't know. But again, you know who you are. Um Bit of a long one here, but let's go. This is a very personal question. I'd like to acknowledge that I'm aware of the fact you may not want to answer what I'm asking. If not, I totally understand. Hmm, curious. Um, I was very pa I was very passionate about music, but one of the best things I realized right at the start of my musical journey was that the likelihood of me achieving anything in the music industry or music business was very low. Hence, I did the usual thing, went to college, got a job, and truth be told, I'm quite happy right now. Well, that's awesome. Um, I remember John Mayer saying that the record executives at Columbia absolutely slammed Continuum when they first heard it, and Mayer at that point legit considered quitting music and studying design. Well, who knows? If the record executives at Columbia really slammed Continuum, then they're bigger idiots than I already don't give them credit for... <laughs> Uh, so here we go. My question is this. With the music industry the way it is, what drives you and what motivates you to actually put in the work when you know that it probably won't give you the outcome you desire? Also, can you talk about the different choices you've had to make, you had to make both some you ended up liking and some you've resented since making them in order to make a living? Hmm. The reason I'm asking such a question is that I've seen you do a wide variety of things and it's been interesting to see your journey for the past 13 years. 
first came across you back in 2009. I've been a fan since then. Well, amazing. Uh, really appreciate that. 13 years. That's uh, that's a real coffee drinker before coffee drinking was a thing. Um, wow. Big question. Um, I think that probably the first part of your actual question I would have to address is the part where you kind of um, allude to me putting in the work but potentially not uh, getting the outcome that I desire. So I'm not sure what you see uh, as the outcome I desire uh, cause I, because I often get the outcome I desire. And I think that's that's largely due to the fact that um, like I've said about, you know, I said before the pre-sale started, for instance, if I got one sale or 1,000 sales, you know, if I made $35 or $35,000, it wouldn't matter because I'd still go to Spain and make the record. Um, you know, that's why I was why I was trying to make the point that the, the pre-sale wasn't a crowdfunding thing, that uh, making the art wasn't dependent on hitting some sort of monetary goal in order to, you know, turn the red light to the green light and get that, you know, okay, here we go. It's time to jump. You know, we've reached the altitude we need to and off we go. Open your parachutes, please. Um, yeah, it's not about that. I don't, I don't think I have, well, I know it's not based on a desire for success or for fame or for money, which I think are three things often associated with any um, kind of, sector of the entertainment industry possibly because those are what makes the most noise um those are the things that are most rapped about most uh sung about um those are the things that get the most views on social media um you know people with bundles of cash you know if i'm in my head i'm probably a bit out of date here but and i'm sure they're much younger more affluent knuckleheads that have replaced people like you know floyd mayweather uh, if i picture someone like that it's just you know iced out hublots and richard mill watches and bundle twenty thousand dollar bundles of cash and private jets and and millions upon millions of followers and 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 tens of millions of views that seems to be over the past um decade or so what has made the most noise in the mainstream so maybe and I'm not saying th this is what you <laughs> were associating with me. I'm, I hope you weren't associating me with private jets and, and, and million-dollar watches. But maybe there was an element of that perhaps you were associating with what my desire might potentially be with my music. And I just want to, like, you know, um, sort of erase any uh, any kind of misapprehension there like I, I i'm not doing it for any of those things on no, no matter what level they are million dollar watch or you know two dollar banana <laughs> it doesn't matter i'm not doing it for any sort of monetary gain um and i guess that leads into the next part of your question about choices i've um made uh, perhaps had to make in order to earn a living and and stay in the in the music business for want of a better word just continue being a musician and making money related to music and there have been I think there have been decisions I've made choices I've made that I resented that were actually related to playing more than you know like teaching or writing books or doing things that weren't directly related to playing I've actually appreciated the choices I made away from the instrument that helped um 
maintain my job relating to music than, than some of the gigs I've said yes to in the past. And maybe some of the gigs I stayed in a little too long, um, hoping to sort of level up from, you know, uh, new artist or mid-level artist or sort of B-list artist and, oh, well, maybe the next one will be Usher or maybe the next one will be Madonna or Janet Jackson or Justin B or who, just insert name of, you know, arena or stadium touring act. It's, it's a bit of a, to me, anyway, it's a bit of a pointless venture to continually want to spend your time promoting someone else's work for often very little in return now i know that that right away that takes out like or seemingly it is like it is a shot fired across the bow of some really fantastic musicians who do that very well they do it very successfully and they do it for a very long time you know we could sit here and talk about um uh, uh, freelance musicians, side men, for want of a better word, and women, um, people who play for other artists, and they do that their entire lives, you know, and that's for some people that really works. I mean, look at like a, a Nathan East, for instance, has spent almost, I mean, he has made a couple of records as an artist, um, and he is, I guess, a co-band leader in foreplay, so there is definitely an artist element to his life. But when you look at his career, it's predominantly as a freelance musician working for other people. Now, he, uh, using him as an example, not necessarily comparable to most people that do that because obviously he's had the absolute biggest gigs and was able to be on mega tours with Phil Collins and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, making real money. Um, but for the reality for a younger musician and I, I, somebody way younger than me, 10, 15, even 20 years younger than me at this point, that that's not the reality. Those gigs, you know, a Katy Perry gig or a Justin Bieber gig or just insert name of current pop star, they don't pay any money. Um, and some of the biggest artists in the world, you're, you're kind of Janet Jackson's and Beyonce's and those kind of uh, um you know, employers, if you like, often pay the least. And when I look at a few of the gigs I stayed in for as long as I did, I was, I think I was clutching at straws thinking I was, like I said, thinking I was going to move up to the next rung of the ladder when the next rung of the ladder was like, why bother? You know, because that next rung of the ladder is just going to make me want to move up to the next one. And eventually you top out, you get to the top of the ladder and you're like, oh, this is it what do I do now? Like I didn't write any of the songs. Um, I'm, I'm only getting older and maybe I'm, you know, I personally was the musical director of most big pop tours I did. So, okay. Uh, that was, I would make a little bit more money. I was a little bit more involved, but again, I didn't write any of the songs and there's just a ceiling to that. You get older, you get less desirable, you get less TV friendly um, unless you're going to move into like doing country gigs where maybe it doesn't matter so much or one of the few artists like Pink perhaps who does take care of her musicians and is not ageist um, and, you know, is as far as I know from what I've heard and from what I've heard her say actually in interviews, you know, she's got musicians who are in their 50s, maybe even 60 years old and fantastic. You know, it's like, hey, this is your gig and as long as you want it, awesome. But those artists are very much in the minority. They aren't too many pinks or Paul McCartney's or real 
kind of legends like that, Jeff Beck's uh, left anymore. It's all very much made for TikTok and Instagram. So you've got to, like some of those things I've definitely maybe regretted staying in a little longer than I should have done. And potentially, I, I, but the thing is, I can't say I've regretted it. I was about to say maybe I regret not doing what I'm doing now 10 years ago a little harder. Um, I thought maybe I was taking the more responsible route by being a sideman and, um, and, and kind of, you know, doing the gig with the quote unquote regular paycheck. But when that regular paycheck is almost zero, it, it's, it's not very responsible. And you have to, and maybe I didn't understand at 30 years old, the, the ceiling that I understand there is now with that scene. So it's, it's a whole multi-layered, multi-faceted, um, situation and landscape and framework that you have to sort of deal with and if you're lucky like some people you 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 kind of figure that out earlier than than uh than later and maybe you you do it and you have the experience fantastic you learn a lot which i i have to say i did of course you know i learned a lot from doing those gigs then i saw a large part of the world doing a lot of those gigs. I saw a large part of this fucking country doing a lot of those gigs, places I almost wish I hadn't, to be honest, in certain, in certain circumstances. So there, there, were definitely, there were definitely a lot of positives uh, from it. But now, it's, I mean, we're talking like a massive shift in my life this week, like a commitment to do my thing the way I'm doing it. This is very new, um, despite the fact that I actually had a band and put out records and did world tours with my own band 15 years ago. Um, The fact that the landscape has changed so much and the way I'm doing it now is kind of new again. And then it's double new because of the way the rest of the industry is now. It's got nothing to do with how it was 15 years ago and even less to do with how it was 20 or 25 years ago. So, um, with, yeah, I'm in the midst of making another massive shift. Um, so when you ask those questions, it's uh, yeah, it brings up a lot of memories, brings up a lot of uh, decisions I've made. Yeah, I really have to think about that. It's probably enough material for an entire podcast just on that one question. Um, but yeah, so far I'm this week I'm really happy that I made this decision, and it feels like one of those ones. The way the audience has responded just in the last four days, it feels like one of those ones that has legs. Like I can actually build upon it. I can create sustainability as an artist. Um, I can definitely make more money than being a sideman with like Katy Perry or something doing like a pop gig and just sitting there waiting around on someone else's schedule. Not only could I make more money, but I could be a happier person. And by make more money, I don't mean like get rich and buy a Ferrari or it's not a um, it's not a materialistic thing. That's not the goal. It's just a byproduct of having I, I don't know being honest having the courage maybe not sure it's just a byproduct of doing it um and i've always been a fan of that even when it is scary and sometimes it is scary even now i've always been a fan of like you know what i'm just gonna do it and and figure it out as it happens and obviously i have a, a lot more tools now than i did when i was 20 um a lot more experience and i'm a little better at troubleshooting and you know working things out on the fly so I don't know. Watch this space. Um, yeah. I don't know what else to 
to say about that. I appreciate you being a fan of uh, Vibas. I really wish I knew how to pronounce your name properly. I know I'm getting it wrong. Uh, so I apologize for that. But yeah, thank you for the question. Um, I know there are other questions in here. Oh, you know what there was? Um, let's see. I just want to make sure. Yeah, there was a point someone was making um, when I talked about when I talked about in the in a podcast last week about um, about kind of leaving Spotify behind and how it's diluting uh, the value, like really vastly diluting the value of art. Um, there was uh, there were a bunch of um, bunch of great comments uh after that post um there was one guy in the chat by the name of todd murphy um whose post was uh i'll read it quickly uh this is good but don't give up on spotify your thousand true fans will voraciously consume everything you make but you always need more fans and spotify is a tool just like instagram and all the others to reach new fans as you already know indie artists aren't making money directly on the songs View it as a small but important thing of your overall strategy. It's today's business card. If people can't find you there, you're dead. Um, I believe the same person also, uh, I can't find it right now, but I believe the same person also wrote that Bandcamp was a good idea 10 years ago, but it is now dead. Um, I couldn't disagree more. I don't, I'm not trying to be like, hey, fuck you, or <laughs> like, I'm not trying to be, uh, be a dick about it. I just saw that and I was like, hmm. I strongly disagree and I would very much like to clarify why. When I saw that comment, I was like, ah, perhaps I wasn't uh, clear enough about my intentions and about my motivations. So that made me want to get go back to that comment and, and talk on it for, for a second. Um, I don't think uh, Spotify is a way uh, to reach tons more fans. I think that if you play the game and uh, work on the Spotify algorithm and get on playlists, then it can be potentially, absolutely, if you're being uh, shoveled out there to a ton more people. Um, but I've been following my stats on Spotify. This is one of the reasons I'm ditching it um, for, for new releases as well. I'll get, I'll get to that in a second. Um, my stats were almost all uh, unique to my page. Like any plays and streams didn't come from being added to playlists. Um, so there was no kind of like organic growth through the system with Spotify for me. I know that's a thing for some people, uh, but it wasn't for me. So I, I, I want to make it very clear that this is quite specific to me, even though I think it's very applicable to a lot of people. I can't speak for a lot of people. I can just speak for myself. So I, in, in that sense, I highly disagree with that sentiment as it, you know, as it pertains to me. Um, I think it's a really bad strategy to make something that I consider to be so valuable. Um, I think it's worth people paying for. I, I, I think it was a very bad strategy to immediately give that away for free. Um, there is a certain amount of truth in the quote-unquote give your best stuff away for free in order to attract people in because you want people to see the best of you when you're promoting what it is you do. You don't want to give them like a, a shitty little B-side as, as promo. And I agree with that. 
But at the same time, I'm not going to give all of it away. I'm going to make some beautiful promo movies that will end up on YouTube and Instagram and Facebook, I'm sure. But I'm not giving away any complete songs. And I do think that it's worth paying for. And the fact that people have shown up the way they have this week in just four days on this pre-sale to, to buy the music ahead of time. The thing isn't even out yet. It's not even recorded and people have shown up to buy it. Proves to, proves me right, you know, at least in my little world and it, with, with, with my fans, with the coffee drinkers, with you guys. So, yeah, I wanted to be super clear on that. Um, and, yeah, I... I don't think that if people can't find you on Spotify, you're dead. I strongly disagree with that because I, I, I'm not making something for the masses. I'm not making something that's average. I'm making something that I consider to be special and it's special for me. And then if people find it special as well, then that that's the bonus, you know, and the, the thousand true fans like, uh, I got to say a couple of hundred of you have already shown up in four days. So I can't imagine with the right amount of promotion in the next two months, literally we the 15th today, no 16th. So in just under two months when the album comes out, if, if a couple of hundred of you manage to show up in four days, then I, I, I don't doubt that we could get to maybe a thousand pre-sales before the album comes out, you know, and I see my fans as people who are, who believe in it. Like people have proven that by their response to it and by their comments to me and, you know, messages that I've received. They're also the kind of fans that when they believe in something, they'll share it. So I don't actually see a problem with getting to a thousand fans for this music uh, without Spotify before the, before the album even comes out. That's the other like completely reaffirming element of this. Like, you're saying that uh, I'm dead if if the if the if the music doesn't end up on Spotify, but before it's even out anywhere, I'm already so far ahead of anywhere I've been in the past 20, 18 years of releasing albums that just completely confirms to me that it was the right move to make, and it gives me like you have no idea how much hope it gave me in terms of live shows, like it's just unbelievable that I am going to be, I feel like now, I mean, I haven't a bunch of people showed up, but I'm nowhere near like actually breaking even for the, for the recording yet. Also, again, doesn't matter. I, I just want to be very transparent about where the process is at, even though I'm not even close to breaking even on the recording, the amount of hope that the initial wave of support this week has given me just like propels me to do 10 times more than I felt like doing this time last week. Like, so financial win or not, that's an emotional win more valuable to me than, than all the money in the world. And that like pushes me forward to, you know, going back to my buddy Hondo saying like, Hey, you should do something in the Bay area. You know, the film, the film screening thing, like screen the documentary would be awesome. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah. And that made me think, you know, I got to be a hundred percent honest here in that, my band is in Europe. That Tom is in London and Nico is in in Paris, and and they are both busy musicians. They are exceptional musicians, and they're both incredibly busy. And I thought, I I, I absolutely had this thought many times. That I was like, oh well, we're going to do this album, and it's going to be amazing, and we're going to play some tour dates in Europe, which are going to be like probably the most fun I'll have had making music in my whole life. 
And then when it comes to play some gigs in the States, you know, I'm going to have to call some cats over here, you know, because it's far for those guys to... Ch- I was like, what? As soon as this week happened, I was like, that's it. This is the band. That's that's all I care about. Like, this is the band. Like, if we do West Coast, like San Diego to Vancouver, those are the guys I'm calling. You know, I'll fly them out here. I'll make it happen. You know, and that w- that's the kind of hope. That's the kind of mental win um, and and kind of rebuilding of the motivation that this like last four days have given me. So, if that's not um, clear enough, <laughs> that's like uh, you know that. Thank you, first of all. Um, that's that's huge, and that I hope shows you. If you're a musician, that's even better. Like if you're thinking about doing anything like this, I, I can't recommend it highly enough. Hopefully my story and me sharing what is going on in real time with the way this is working will help you uh, come to a decision that makes sense for you. And as a fan, if you're waiting to see this music live and you're excited for the album to come out May 15th, I hope that gives you some something to look forward to. And, and the fact that, yeah, we might be playing in Slovenia and Italy and Portugal, who knows, and, and the Bay Area and San Diego and LA and Vancouver and Seattle and Idaho and New Jersey who knows like that really that it took all the barriers down it took all the second guessing away it was just like oh I can do this you know it reminded me I had done it in some on some level before and it it, it reinforced the feeling that I can do it now in spite of how shit the music business is like I can actually win here again doesn't have to be financially but musically i can win and i have the the motivation to work on the music more than i've ever had um ever as an artist so that's a powerful four days my friends coffee drinkers you are hugely (laughs) responsible for that and um yeah it only gets better from here which is an amazing feeling you feel i I feel it, it totally invincible you know, I'm sure there are going to be dips. There's going to be downsides and there are going to be things that go wrong and flights that get missed and gear that gets lost and all of those things that go with real life. But the underlying feeling is that there's that, that light at the end of the tunnel is getting super bright right now. And all of it, everyone wins. Like if you're a fan of the music, I'm going to be able to bring that music to you. And for me, I love what I do and I'm going to get to carry on doing that. So... Yeah, this is a, a huge amount of faith in humanity restored and uh, a huge amount of gratitude and thanks to everyone who has uh, got in on the pre-order and who has just been supportive and uh, and a positive voice in the crowd. You are uh, very much appreciated. And if you haven't got in on the pre-order, if you like the sound of any of this stuff, uh, you can go to yannickwisdala.com forward slash store and... Uh, yeah, there it is. All the it's all laid out right there. Here's something. Hey, this is the, I'm going to close on this because I've already, this has been a bit of a long episode. Here's something I didn't think to do. I should have thought to do this and put it in on the documentary package. Of course, everyone who buys a documentary package, I want to get you in the credits of the movie. It it seems like a, a small thing, but I, I definitely want to have this like uh, forever kind of lasting uh, record of the fact that. 
if you were there, you were there, you know? So um, I'm going to go write that in the product description and I'm going to make sure that everyone who's uh, who buys the, I think it's the tier two, right? The second tier um, that includes the documentary. I'm going to make sure everyone who is in that tier gets in the credits of the movie. It's just an just a, another little way to say, hey, I, I appreciate you being there and uh, let's set that one in stone um, for forever and ever. So that's it. Um, Yannickwithstarlil.com forward slash store. That's where it's all happening. I'll be back soon um, with another podcast, probably a little bit more YouTube as well. I want to do some videos on the pedals because it's going bonkers down here on the floor with all the stereo stuff. And uh, I definitely want to share that with you guys. So I'll work on that and uh, speak to you, coffee drinkers, bass players, guys and girls of the world. Love you guys. Speak to you soon. (laughs) 